If you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 11. I'm going to get to that in just a second. Last week I talked about expectation, and we talked about um, two people from the story of Christ's birth. When they bring Christ to the temple and they present him, we have an old man who's there, who shows up every day, who had been a priest, and is probably retired, but he doesn't have anything else to do, so he keeps showing up, but he shows up because of this. He believes the promise is true, that he is going to see the Christ. And so he shows up every day at the temple, ready to do whatever needs to be done. And then there's a second person in the same story who, when they bring Jesus to be dedicated, they call Anna, this woman who, she's been coming there for probably about 60 years, roughly. And she shows up, and she cleans, and she fasts, and she prays, and she worships. And basically it says she's now living there because she never wants to leave. But she shows up expecting something, knowing God is going to do something. And I talked about, we need to show up expecting God to do something in us. Because when we just show up out of ritual or out of habit or out of obligation, we miss the opportunity. It doesn't mean that God's doing any less, but we don't necessarily recognize what he's doing. And I said, it's not about being legalistic, and you have to be here every time the doors are open. Some of you who were raised in more legalistic churches maybe grew up every time, you know, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. We had all of those, plus we had pre-service prayer that I was at, plus we would have twice a year, we'd have these four or five night times where we would do services four or five nights in a row, and we were supposed to bring people and include people, but it was the same 20 people that came every night. And that's what I grew up in. And every time the doors were open. In fact, we had two Sunday morning services and Sunday school in the middle. And I was there an hour before the first service. And I, made, I would go to first service. I'd go to Sunday school. I'd go to the second service. And then if I could get my parents out in time during football season, I'd catch the last half of the Packers game. And if, I, if we were too chatty, then I just had to watch the highlights on Monday night because there was no ESPN. We were there. That's what we did. And I don't ever want to become where I say, oh, you've got to be here every week. But what I do want is for us to come with an expectant heart. And when we show up, we know that God has something for us. He has something for you, and he has something for me. And the beauty in that is I come for a reason and a purpose, and I don't even know what that reason is necessarily. There's something within me that's compelled to see what God has for me today. What does he want to speak to me? I'm not a big believer that any moment there's going to be a fresh revelation. What I am a believer in is that God has already spoken it, and I just need to hear it again and believe it again and begin to apply it to me. Because when t- someone tells me they have a new revelation, I always get worried because pretty much we've decided this is closed. And what God has told us, it doesn't mean God's not speaking today. But what God has told us is here. And when people have these new revelations, that's when you start to see weird things happen. But for me to come expecting God to speak things he's already promised, to begin to work and fulfill those things, that's freeing to me. Because that means he has something for me now. Luke chapter 11, verses 9 through 13 tells us this. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. For he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from a From any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, 
know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give him, the Holy Spirit, to those who ask him? I want to jump into verse 13 because that's the best of all of these. Because he recognizes and Jesus looks and he goes, you're evil people. And he says it to their face. And sometimes I just want to say the truth to people's face, but we have to be more polite because we're in a cordial society. But I'll get to that in a minute. Here's a few things this text tells us. Number one, you're invited to ask. He tells you, ask. We're invited to ask, but that asking comes in context of a relationship. God desires to have a relationship with you, but he says, ask. Ask with an expectant heart, but ask. Too oftentimes, we don't have that fulfillment in our lives because we haven't taken the time to ask him. Second thing the text tells us is he gives us what we need. Too oftentimes, we're looking to get everything we desire what he tells us is he gives us our needs. The things he mentions are, you know, food, life-sustaining things. When we ask for those, does he not meet our needs? I think sometimes, especially the church in America, but probably other places, God has become like the giant slot machine in the sky, that if I just put in enough, then I'm going to get back mine. And if I don't have mine, then I'm just not giving enough. So I'm going to give a little more so that I can get. I'm going to give in faith. I'm going to give this pledge. I'm going to, and I tell you all the time, we need enough that we can keep going forward, but not so much that we become arrogant in who we are. We need enough so that we can be a blessing to those around us, but not so much that we begin to panic and say, well, we've got to not give because we've got to have more for us. What happens, what happens when we have a storm? What happens when we have a trial or a challenge? What happens when we have something come up against us? We have to have faith that God is consistent in who he says he is. And too oftentimes, when I'm just trying to figure out what I can get out of it, instead of what he has for me, then I'm missing the very point. The text is saying he gives us what we need. Verse 13, two things that really stand out. First thing is, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts. I love it when Jesus calls people a brood of vipers. He looks and says, you guys, you're evil. I love it when Jesus looks and goes, you know you're all a bunch of dirty sinners, right? And then just keeps going on as if, the, as if he said nothing. <laughs> the reason I like it is, it's true. And I love the fact that he speaks truth to us. We may want to pretend we're good. No, I'm a good person. No, you're not. You're an evil sinner that's saved by grace that God is working through. And anytime our actions are outside of what he has for us, now does that mean I have to hang my head low and whip myself as I crawl across glass to get to the temple? No, that's not what he's asking you to do. I think cultures that do that have missed the point. What he's saying is you're a sinner, and yet even as a sinner, you know how to give good gifts to your children then how much more, how much better, how much greater is it what the Father wants to give to you? And when you recognize and admit your sin, then we can really begin to change what's going on in us. And it says, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? It doesn't say give the things they want. 
What does it say he'll give? The Holy Spirit. Too often times, we equate blessing with, I'm blessed because I have all these things. And I said over and over, that's one of the things the church in America gets wrong. The very idea and concept of blessing in, throughout Scripture is actually the presence of God with people. Now, are there material things that sometimes come with that? Yes, but the idea of blessing is not what I have, but whose presence I'm with. So the idea that if you're blessed, that means God is present with you and in you. It's not, oh, I got this new car. I'm blessed. Do I want a new car? Sometimes. I have a really nice one. I was in love with my last vehicle. Drove it for years. It finally quit. I was was angry at it because I was like, I didn't give up on you. You gave up on me. If you knew me at all, I loved my truck. I really did. And finally, it decided it was done in a high school parking lot, and I had to go and get a jump start just to get it to the salvage yard. And as I stood there looking at it and discovering, he was going, Jeff, you don't want to put the money into this that it's going to take. I'm like, yes, I do. Don't tell me what I want. But finally, common sense came, and I had to let it go. I liked it. But it doesn't define who I am in God. And too oftentimes, we want our possession to define who we are in Christ. And when we do that, we miss the very thing, which is he's saying, my presence with you is your blessing, not the brand new thing. And it's okay to have new and nice things. If you think I'm saying it's not, you're misinterpreting what I'm saying. Do I want you to be prosperous in this lifetime? Absolutely. Because I want you to be a blessing to other people. I want you to be able to give material and, more importantly, show people who God is in you because the true blessing in this life is the presence of God. He tells us right here, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Not how much more will the Father give wealth? Not how much more will the Father give prosperity? Not how much more will the Father give you new whatever? But he says, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit? Because he views the true blessing in this world is the presence of God working in us. And it changes the mindset of how we approach things. So here's a few things where I've heard this text misconstrued. Number one, people believe that if I ask, I get it now. There's no immediacy in here. We don't always get it in our timing. We don't always get it immediately. Remember, God operates linear in time, which means there is no beginning of God and there is no end of God. And if that's true, then time doesn't is not relative to God. To us, we have this short time on this earth. We're here, we live, and then we're gone. And the way we choose to live, exactly that. It's how we choose to live that. Can bad things happen to us? Yes. Can circumstances be out of our control? Absolutely. Recently, I was at the site of a, of a fairly serious car accident. I wasn't involved in it. I was just there. And I was meeting and talking with people um, along the side of the street, waiting for an ambulance. And the ambulance gets there and takes people away. And my whole thought was, that's not how they thought they'd spend their Friday night. I don't know why I thought, I just kept thinking, wow, what a difference. It wasn't one of those where, oh, this person was wrong. It was two cars both tried to go through a light at the same time going opposite directions, and that doesn't work. Somebody probably missed a light. We hadn't even, hadn't even been determined who missed the light yet. But in a moment, things can change. It doesn't mean God's not in control. It means human's choices come through 
Somebody, maybe they were on their phone, maybe they were talking, maybe they were running late, maybe they weren't. I don't know all the circumstances yet. Those were being unfolded and unpacked. My job wasn't to figure out circumstances. My job was to talk to people that were traumatized and try to bring a little hope into a situation to let them know that, okay, this is what's going to happen next. And to pray with one person who agreed to let me pray with them on the side of a road, somebody I'd never met before. We want to believe that it's all random, but so much of it is what we choose. But we don't get to operate in our time sometimes. And so here's a choice that somebody makes that leads to other people's life-altering decisions. And because we want to operate and say, it has to happen now, but God's like, no, I've given you a promise, but I didn't say when. And we want to make it in this short little time, and it doesn't always happen that way. The most accurate picture I ever have of, like, the big picture is you look at, you know, a, a puzzle, a jigsaw puzzle, and you look at one piece and that's what our life is. Our life is one little piece that goes in this giant picture. And if you've ever looked at a puzzle and you're doing it and you're getting down and you're like, wait, we're missing pieces. We've got to be missing pieces. And you're starting to count and you're like, there's not enough pieces. And you keep going and there are not enough pieces. And then you get there and you're like, oh, here's the last piece. The last. I guess there were enough pieces all along. But this piece doesn't look like it even fits this puzzle. Sometimes that's our life. There's pieces that we can't see. And it doesn't work the way we want it because we want everything cut and dry and neat and clean and not have to face problems. But you know what? The world is a broken world. And it doesn't make God's promise any less true just because we live in a broken world. Another thing the text doesn't tell us, um, but the people often misconstrue, is that God is still God and still retains that role in that place. In other words, you don't get everything you want, but God does give what is good. And when bad things happen, that isn't God's judgment or punishment on you. Well, this bad thing happened. I guess I'm just not right with God. That's not true. People die because we live in a world where we are not immortal. Bad things happen because we live in a world where people are broken. But that's no less true. The reality of God is no less true just because things don't go the way we want. Just because I lose my job or I struggle with finances or I struggle in my marriage or I struggle in this relationship or I struggle in that situation doesn't mean God's not there and God's not real. It means we're people that are sinners that have to move beyond our sin. And even as we do that, sometimes the damage is just too much. There's a few things that are implied in the Scripture not going to go into all of them, but a couple of them are this, is it's implied that we're asking for things of the Spirit. Not just the temporal things of this world. Do I believe that it's okay to pray for people to be healed? Absolutely. I believe God calls us to do that. But you're like, but Jeff, you just said people are mortal. Yes, they are. And sometimes God heals people and sometimes he doesn't, but it makes them no less God. Those things that don't last, those things that are going to be destroyed one day, the things that are temporary in this world, those are the things that don't last. But the way we love others, that becomes our legacy. 
how we give of who we are, that becomes our legacy. The way people are impacted because of the generosity of my spirit, because I'm willing to serve someone, because I'm willing to sacrifice something of me for someone else, those are the things that last. And those are the things of the spirit. And another thing that needs to be said anytime I, I do this passage is this. Some of you had a bad experience with your earthly father. Some of you had a negative impact with your earthly father. Some of you had no relationship. Some of you may not even know who your earthly father is. And I'm here to tell you, God is a good father. And I can't make up for the bad image that a human had. But what I can tell you is, God is a good father. And some of you had a great relationship with your earthly dad. Had a, you know, he was there, and you participated, he engaged in your life, and that's beautiful, and I'm glad that that happened for you. But I'm here to tell you also, God is bigger than that too. So if you had a great father, imagine a perfected father. And if you had a bad relationship, a negative relationship with your father, know this, that doesn't reflect who God is. Because it tells us God is a good father. And he wants the best for you. And he has the best for you. And he sees you and he knows you and he recognizes you. And he wants to engage with you in a way that makes you feel loved and valued and safe. And some of you never felt safe with your own father. Some of you never felt valued by your own father. Some of you never felt loved by your own father. Some of you were abandoned by your father. And God is not going to do that. Earthly fathers will fail. John 14, 12 through 15 says this, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Okay, that is great. If we ask it in Jesus' name, he's going to do it. He's going to petition to his Father on our behalf. But wait, he goes says one more thing, if you love me, keep my commandments. So in other words, he's going to do it. And it's not, a, it's not a bargaining thing. It's not a, you have to do this, and then I'll do it. If you're a good enough Christian, then I'll meet your needs. But if you're a bad Christian, I've told you before, I hate the term good Christian, bad Christian. You're either someone who's trying to follow Christ or you're not. You're either in or you're out. And your ability to do it well I believe we grow in that, but that doesn't make you a good or a bad Christian. I've had people say, well, I'm not a very good Christian. I don't show up for church very often. I'm like, wow, talk about condemning language. Stop condemning yourself. I don't hold you responsible for that. Do I want you here? Yes, because I believe that we have something to offer you, and I believe that you have something to offer us. But it's not about whether or not you're good or bad as a Christian. We're either following Christ or we're not. And so he looks and he says, now if you love me, keep my commandments. I'm going to do all these things because you've asked. And if you love me, keep my commandments. I'm not going to do them because of how much you do. I'm not going to do these things because you love this person, because you give this much, because you've earned it. You don't earn it and you don't deserve it. He's going to do it because you ask. And then as an aside, if you love me, keep my commandments. I'm going to do it whether you love me or not. He doesn't say, if you do what I ask, then you'll get this. He says, I'm going to do this. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. 
There's no caveat. But too often times, people try to make a caveat. People try to make a, if you'll do this, well, you have to do this and this and this, and then God's going to bless you. That's not the reality of the scripture. If you ask, I'm going to do it. And if you love me, keep my commandments. What a beautiful challenge to us. What a beautiful challenge that says, if you ask, I'm going to do it. Now again, remember what I said earlier. Doesn't mean it happens the way we think it should. Doesn't mean it happens in our time. God is not linear. Doesn't mean we see it the same way he does. He has incredible things in store for us. He does. But it's not about the works or the miraculous. It's about a relationship with him. It's not about what do I get out of this materially, but it's about how do I connect with him eternally. The purpose of this relationship also, the purpose of us having a relationship with God is not just to keep you out of hell. And too many times that was what was preached. For about 40 years, that was the common language. And that's why you got to get saved today or you're going to die and burn in hell. And people fearfully came running and then they're like, why would I want to serve a God like that? Why? Why would I want to serve a God that's just waiting for me to screw up so he can send me to hell? The purpose is a relationship. And if the purpose is relationship and not to avoid hell, if my purpose is relationship with a loving and real God and not, oh, I just don't want to have to die and go to the bad place. If that's the whole thing, then we're missing the the point. He's looking and saying, I desire relationship with you. In other words, ask, but ask with the attention of how can I glorify God in this? How can this glorify God? Ask for the miraculous, expect the miraculous, believe the miraculous, and then use that to glorify who God is. So here's a few conclusions that I have, questions that I'm asking. First question I ask is, well, what about when I pray and God doesn't answer? Is there something wrong with me? I'm going to answer that one for you because I don't want you to go to the wrong place. No. Again, it's not a giant slot machine where if I put in enough prayer, something has to come out. And yet I believe that in time, if you put in enough prayers, you're going to see God move. So have I failed as a person if I don't see the miraculous? If I pray for the sick and they're not healed, have I failed? Or is God not real? Neither. That's a lie to get you distracted from what really matters. It's the same thing I say when I talk about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives these great gifts. It's not about the gifts. It's about the Holy Spirit working in our life. But we get so focused on, I want this gift, and I want to operate in this, and I want to do this, and we, we make it about the gifts. And if, you know, if you have a five-year-old at Christmas, and they're all excited about the gifts, you kind of go, well, yeah, they're five. But when I have, like, my 17-year-old, if he, if he still thinks it's all about the gifts, I'm going to think, I missed something as a parent in raising him along the way. Now, I don't know what age it switches, But somewhere along the way, my son became far more concerned with, are we going to put up lights? I'd really like to decorate our house. Somewhere along the way, my son and my daughter began to care about getting gifts for Tracy and I. And I say the same thing every year. You don't have to get me anything. There's nothing you can get me that I'm going to need or want. Son, don't worry about it. And yet, under the tree is wrapped a gift for me, for my son. And I know he wrapped it himself. It looks like a beaver did it, but he did it. 
There's no using scissors with him. That paper rips just fine. And way too much tape. But it's not about the gift. It's about the relationship with my son in an earthly sense. With the father, it's not about the gift. It's about the relationship with the father. It's about your relationship with Jesus. It's about the Holy Spirit moving in me and through me. Not about what I can get out of it, but about how it shapes and molds me and makes me more into the person he created me to be in the first place. But because we're born into a sinful and fallen world, we don't get to be who he first originally desired for us to be in this lifetime. I haven't failed if I don't see God moving in me the same way he moves in someone else. It's not a magic formula. It's a lifestyle of choice. I believe he's going to move through you. I believe you're going to see the miraculous done through you. But that's not about it. That's not it. That's a desired outcome, not the ultimate goal. So if it doesn't happen the way I picture it, does that mean the word is false? Again, no. Allow God to work in his time, space, and way. Continue to ask. Continue to seek. And know that as you ask and as you seek, he's a good father that's going to give you good gifts and he's going to give you what you need in the right season. Next week, we're going to deal with false and unrealistic expectations and why sometimes our faith leaves us empty because if I have expectations of what God's going to do and it doesn't happen, how do I walk forward from that? And that's what I'm going to talk about next week. I want you to be here not because you feel obligated. I want you to be here because I want you to come expectant that God is going to do something in you. But the beauty is God doesn't have to be here to do that. God can do something in you Tuesday during your coffee break at work. God can do something Thursday night during prayer here. God can do something Friday on your commute over what used to be a viaduct that is now an utter disaster. And yet God can meet you and do something in you and through you. Because he desires relationship with us and doesn't say, well, if you'll go to this place. That's the beauty of it. They used to have to go to the temple to sacrifice and they were scattered all over the known world at that time. And so they're slaves in exile and they can never reconnect with God. And he's looking and saying to us today, I've fixed that for you. Because right where you are, Tuesday afternoon or Friday morning or next Sunday, I can meet you right there. And I can begin to let you understand and know my presence. And that's what he desires for us, is to be in relationship with him. Father God, I thank you that you desire relationship with us. I pray that we would walk through 2019 with a sense of expectation and hope, with a knowledge knowing that you have something for us. Let us connect with you in a real way, in your name. Amen. As we start communion today... Um, Tracy's going to be in the middle. She'll have gluten-free if you're gluten-free. I know I've had some requests. If you're not, you can still take from Tracy. But uh, I, want, I always give the, basically the same caveat every time. Is This is not about membership. This is not about your salvation. Communion is about a desire in a heart that says, I want to know who God is. I'm going to set aside a time to remember the sacrifice his son Jesus made for me. And you may not even fully understand that. The person who tells me they fully understand that and fully comprehends that, I get nervous with. You're talking about the God of the universe and a 2,000-year-old text, and he invites us, but there's still questions that we probably have. 
it's okay to have questions. You're invited to participate. You're going to come up. You're going to break off a piece. You're going to dip it in the cup, and you're going to serve yourself and then make your way back to your seat. If you would like uh, extra prayer today, the pra some of the members of the prayer team will be up here afterwards to pray with you. Um, I invite you. I encourage you to do that. If you say, oh, I don't know if in five minutes I can really express what I need. We have women's prayer group here on Tuesdays. We have Thursday night prayer group. I, I just want to make it available to you. I want you to have a place where you can come and be prayed for for an extended period of time if you need that. But today I want you to come and I want you to take, I want you to receive this communion knowing that there was a sacrifice made for you so that you could have relationship with God. If you're not able to come forward, whether it's physically or just you're like, I don't have it in me to stand and walk forward. I just, I can't do that, Jeff. Just raise your hands. Tracy's going to come and serve those of you first, and then afterwards she'll be here in the middle. So if you need gluten-free, line up in the middle. Otherwise, James and I will be on the outside. Come on up. Everybody's invited. You don't have to be a member. You don't have to have a class. You don't have to fill out a card. You just have to say, hey, I, I want to remember that there's a way for me to be reconciled to God through his son Jesus. And again, you don't have to understand all of it but come and partake because it's for you.
beautiful yet simple thing. He promised that his presence would be with us, but not that things would be perfect. He promised forgiveness of your sins, but not to take away your free will so you can still choose to sin again. He's a loving God, and yet it is a plan and a purpose for each of us, and we still struggle to believe that. We struggle to accept love. We struggle to believe his reality. We struggle to believe that he is who he was, who he is who he is, and he is who he says he's going to be. We desire for this relationship, this deep, meaningful thing that makes us feel something moving inside. But he's like, it's not about that feeling. It's not about that emotion. It's about the reality of who he is. And so it's this constant struggle within us because we're broken, we're sinful, and we're human. And he looks and he says, what I have for you is better. Let's be a people who walk in an expectation that he's going to move in us. Father God, deep within our hearts and souls, let us have that expectation that in this year, in this season, in this month, you're going to move in us. God, if our hearts have been hardened to that, if we've been closed off to that, if we've decided that that can't be true because of me or because I didn't see things or because life has let me down, God, just begin to soften that. Just begin to move in that. Just begin to let us see and experience you in real ways. In your name, amen. I want to invite the prayer team to come back up. They'll be on each side. If you want prayer for anything, if you're struggling with the expectation of what God has for you, or what he wants to do in you. If that's something that's going on in you right now, or if there's anything else in your life that you want prayer for, I just want to invite you, come on up, and um, they're going to be here to pray with you. Otherwise, know that 
I'll be praying for you this week. I believe God has incredible things in store for you as an individual and for us as a congregation. I don't doubt that for a moment. Let's show up. Let's expect God to do incredible things in us. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.